Christ. All right, so we are in, in uh, Numbers chapter 25. So please, uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Numbers chapter 25. And this is a chapter that I've personally titled, The Enemy from Within. So let's start out with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into to this chapter. Lord, we... Um, we thank you, Lord, that we are here, that we have this time to, to once again hear from you. And Lord, I pray this evening, Father, as we um, hear from you, that you would help us, Lord, to um, understand that the enemy can come from so many different directions. You know, Lord, we, we have learned over the past couple of weeks how it is that the enemy can come from without but unless you give the enemy permission, they can never do anything to us. Or Balak, um, through Balaam, attempted to do all kinds of things to the Israelites, but it just was unsuccessful. And yet this evening, we'll see how it is that within, the Israelites can implode quite easily. So I pray, Father, that this would be a lesson for us, Lord, to help us to be vigilant, to be aware of our surroundings at all times, to not let our our guard down, but to always be watchful, for for the enemy is always there, looking for ways to come in and destroy our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would respond in those times, Lord, with wisdom from heaven, by your word given to us, and that your spirit would give us reminders of those words at those times that they are very much needed. And so, Lord, we, uh, we commit ourselves into your care. We ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding. And we thank you for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the enemy from within. All right, so let's uh, go ahead and start out. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 says, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Let's pause for a moment here. We, uh, like I said, even in the prayer um, I was thinking about how it was that the, yeah, the last couple, two, three weeks, we have dealt with an enemy from without. We are now shifting to Israel itself and the perspective um, from Israel's viewpoint and, and out toward the Lord and toward the world and the perspective of God toward the sin of Israel. Uh, the last few weeks, we we dealt with the enemy from without, how it was that Balak would take Balaam and bring him up to a different mountain and, and perhaps from this area we'll sacrifice to the Lord and maybe we'll gain his favor and then from this mountain you can curse the Israelites. And each time the answer was no, no, and no. And that was the enemy from without. But now we have the enemy from within. We see how it is that the Israelites truly could be their own worst enemy. And very like us. You know, we have all these enemies from without, but we could be our own worst enemy. 
No, nobody has, has to do a sin. We can do ourselves in quite fine and perfectly. They are deceived by their own flesh. They have this lust that fills their eyes and their hearts and corrupts them to the point of entering into sin all the way to destruction. Balak, the king of Moab, was unsuccessful in cursing the Israelites through Balaam. But the women of Moab, well, they were something different. They were able to lead the Israelites basically into self-implosion mode. The Trojan horse has entered the camp of the Israelites, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. They're all leading them right into this ambush. The enemy is waiting to pounce on them. The Trojan horse, they're bringing bringing it right into their camp. The men of Israel allowed the women of Moab to come into their camp and allowed themselves to be seduced. Now, I know that it's kind of interchangeable how it is that uh, we have Moab, Moab, the Moabites, but we also uh, see in our text the Midianite women. Well, the Midianites, um, they're ones that uh, would, would roam the earth. They, they were very nomadic. And so at this time, they were, they were uh, very populous in, in within Moab. And so it was these women who have now infiltrated the camp of Israel. The men of Israel, they committed two sins, and that is the sin of sexual immorality and the sin of idolatry. The worship of Baal of Peor was the Moabite god of fertility, and the worship of Baal appeared appeared to be a great enticement for the Israelites. Baal means Lord, of course, not capitalized, Lord. Peor means cleft or gap. And comes from the word pa'ar, which means to open wide. At the Baal temples, you would typically have a wooden pole with the image of a female goddess either carved into it or one beside it. It was in this way that the feminine principle, Asherah, you've heard of Asherah poles, and the male principle, Baal, were represented. Now, I spent a little time looking into the worship of Baal Peor. And without going into great detail, it is grotesque, it is demonic, it is enslaving, it is very fleshly, and to take any part in it would be to completely lose yourself in something that is along the lines of extreme pornography. And is still happening today. And it's happening right under our own noses. It's all over the place. It's actually the social norm. Again, I won't go into the details of what the worship of Baal Peor are, but I will tell you that it elevates the feminine principle at the expense of the man or the woman who allow themselves to be enslaved to worship Baal Peor. Today, there are still temples of Baal Peor. They're just not called temples of Baal Peor. They're called strip joints. That's what they are. The pole is there, and the feminine principle is worshipped at the expense of the man or woman. The woman is elevated on the pole, and she's exposed while men please her by giving her money, adoration, worship, 
and surrender their total selves to her pleasure, even though they think they are deceived and think that it's pleasing to them. There are many secular songs and videos that speak to this type of worship, like a song by Lil' Kim. And the title of it it is, I Taste Just Like Candy. This song and video are parallels to the worship of Baal Peor. Um, I wouldn't suggest that you go through, uh, you can as an adult, but I'm telling you, if, if you understand the worship of Baal Peor and listen to the song and how it is that at some point even, there's a man that is kneeling down before little Kim and, and putting his hands like that and worshiping her. These are all images. There's a song by Flo Rida. It's very popular today. You might even have like kind of danced around to it. It's called Right Round. Have you heard of it? It has a cool little beat, but check out the lyrics. You spin my head right round, right round, when you go down, when you go down. You spin my head right round, right round, when you go down, when you go down. And I'll skip to another portion. From the top of the pole, I watch her go down. She got me throwing my money around. Ain't nothing more beautiful to be found. It's going down, down. Now, these are songs that are on the radio. And they're songs that you might, you probably don't even know what the words of these songs are. But our kids are singing along to them if you allow them to listen to these types of songs. And I want to I throw this out to you and I want to make you aware of it because this very thing that happened years ago in numbers is still happening today. It's still have, It's just a different name. That's all it is. The enemy wants to devour our kids, wants to devour us, wants to destroy us. And we need to pay very careful attention. Um, the songs, even if they do have a nice rap to them, you've got to be careful. Because these lyrics are desens- desensitizing our children. And they're leading them down a path of death and destruction to their souls. Now, for these lyrics, there's much more to them. The girls in the videos go quote-unquote, commando on our kids, and there is a full-on assault on their minds and hearts, their souls. We need to, again, pay attention as parents because just as the worship of Baal Peor, can you imagine the worship of Baal Peor was a strong enticement for the people of God who saw at that time the miracles and power of the Lord right before them. I mean, they were still in the wilderness How was it that they were led in the wilderness? A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Talk about knowing the presence of the Lord. Talk about just the previous generation having passed along to them how it is that the Red Sea was parted before them. How it was that the Lord had delivered them from bondage under Egyptian rule. How it was that the Lord had provided for them up to that point? All of those things. And if they, if it was so strong for them that they were enticed and fell into sin, how much more are we to stand guard? Any woman or man who lures you to commit sexual sin will undoubtedly lead you to idolatry. 
a surrender of yourself and your dignity and remove you from the worship of God to the worship of a false God because of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride that comes from within. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 22 says, So you will be delivered by wisdom from the forbidden woman, that is a strange woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who, who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the, to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And so what we read here is that Israel came alongside basically in the same direction as Baal of Peor to go and worship just as the Moabites were in their cultish, satanic worship. We read here how the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Now, having the background that we have in regards to the worship of Baal Peor, it does give us a better understanding of why it was that God dealt with this sin in the manner in which he did. To God, this is not something that is to be approached with kid gloves. This sin was to be dealt with swiftly and decisively and as we see here openly, that is publicly. Because to allow such blatant sin to go on under the banner of tolerance and self-expression within a culture is basically to allow a cancer or gangrene to spread to the point of the death of the whole community. And so God gave the command, and He commanded Moses to command the judges, or so He passed it along to the judges. These are the heads of Israel to judge each of these men who gave themselves to such grotesque sin and idolatry. It cost them their lives to be given to such sin. But as we will see here in the next few verses, apparently there was someone who hadn't heard about what was happening back in the camp. He was out with the Moabite women and he paid no attention to what was happening back in the camp. Verse 6, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them the man of Israel, and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So not only had those who had yoked themselves to Baal of Peor die at the stake, but it had consequences that went beyond them. Not just those who had given themselves to the sin, but a total of 24,000 is what we have here. 24,000. 
But again, as we read here, there was this one guy who was basically parading his sin before everyone. His family, all the people, and even going right past the Israelites who were sobbing at the end at that at the entrance uh, of meeting at that one place where the people would come to meet with the Lord he went right into his tent along with the woman and he laid with her even though the effects of sexual immorality were plain to see, this man was so blinded by his sin that he did this in plain sight for all to see. He didn't really care. It was completely flagrant. Phineas would not tolerate this, grabbed a spear and drove it through both of them as they lay together. And by doing so, stopped the plague from killing more people. Now, we, we have seen people, we know probably of people, who, quite honestly, honestly are, are just like this man that parades their sin and doesn't really care. Who sees what's going on? Nothing at all. They just, they don't care. They could care less. And that's a, that's a shame. Especially, especially when it's, of course, someone who we would look to, perhaps to be one who knows better. Right? Someone who does know the Word of God, who knows that that is, that is sinful. I mean, we're talking about an Israelite who has been instructed personally by Moses, who has been given the law, who knows what it means to sin, who, to, to fall short, and he just doesn't care and comes through with this woman. But they're both killed by Phinehas. There's some lessons, of course, to learn here. Your sin influences others to do as you do and even impacts others around you with severe consequences. Sometimes we think, oh, our, our sin isn't going to impact anyone around us. It's just, it's in between me and the other person. Like, no, you're, you're, like, you're very wrong. It impacts, it, it affects and it affects a lot of people around you. It brings impact and it influences a lot of people around you in so many different ways. But on the other side, because we also see here how a righteous act can also make a difference by influencing others and impacting others in actually good ways. You, you never know when you're being watched, when you're going to make a, an impact on someone's life that will last a lifetime. I've heard time and time again how People, there was just one moment they saw one person do this one thing and, and it impacted them for the rest of their lives. Like they can, they can tell you what happened in detail in that moment. And from that point on, it's like a light switch, switch went on and I was impacted. It changed my life. Just remember a righteous act. It, it's never the wrong time. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Never but it's never the right time to do the wrong thing. Verse 10, let's continue because this is, uh, this is the section where the Lord honors Phinehas. Verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, 
Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Well, God honored Phinehas. And he honored him with this perpetual priesthood. What he was saying by this is that his line from Aaron would continue on to be the priesthood to the people of Israel. That's a high honor. Through you, this priesthood will continue. And it was because of the zeal that he had demonstrated for God, for the things of God. He was jealous with my jealousy. He had a zeal. He was zealous, and he was zealous because of my zeal and for my zeal. God described Phineas as the man that was jealous with my jealousy among them. And it wasn't just before God, but it was, but it was in the presence of all the people. He, he left the people. I mean, you could just imagine. He was actually, he was angered. He was filled with this righteous anger, is what we know him to be filled with. He saw this flagrant sin just in your face, God. I don't care. That's it. And he went, grabbed his spear, and drove it through them. This is righteous anger. I don't know of anyone today. It's very difficult to have a good, pure, righteous anger. Because there's always some some little underlying thing that kind of, it just makes everything wrong sometimes as we as we get into that place of being in, in anger, filled with rage, you know. But with this zeal, this was a righteous anger. That is how the Lord described Phineas and what he did. And so taking the life of this man and this woman was to be seen as an atoning for the children of Israel, whose blood was shed. It was their blood that was shed. And so we see this perpetual priesthood brought through this line and, and the Lord honoring him with this as he was acting in that place of a priest before the children of Israel. But what does a righteous zeal mean? It means that a person is passionate towards, devoted to those things that God is passionate toward. What is he passionate toward? What is he zealous for? Well, holiness, right? He is, he is zealous toward holiness and he's also zealous and devoted to righteousness as well. Now, the opposite of zeal is apathy. Or another word could be indifference. When we see sin and we see things going on around us, what, is it, what should it do to us? Should we, have an, an indifferent, should we have an indifferent attitude toward the sin or should we be zealous for the Lord, for righteousness and holiness? It should drive us to act, right? To respond. What are we to do with what we have before us? 
Because God is not apathetic or indifferent toward sexual immorality. He is not apathetic or indifferent toward flagrant sin. He is love, but he is also a just God. And here's what we, and I want to encourage us to do, as those things perhaps surface in our own lives. We should not be indifferent. We should not be apathetic toward our own sins, but we ought to judge our own sin and confess it before God, before he judges the sin in our lives, because he disciplines those whom he loves. We can't take sin lightly. This is one of those examples to where it's like God, God doesn't take sin lightly. He judges sin. And so therefore we must, as it's revealed in our own lives, we must confess it to the Lord and turn from that which, which shames and, and dishonors our Lord. But let's continue verse 14. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house, belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they have harassed you with their wiles, with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. Both of the ones that were in sin and they were killed were both children of leaders. Um, The child of one, of course, like I said, should have known better. But the lure and the enticement, the worship of the Baal of Peor was so strong that he went in that direction. Their names are forever before us as an example of such a thing. And there was zero tolerance to be demonstrated toward the Moabites. As we see, the Lord says, go, you harass them, you, you take them out. Completely. There is zero tolerance to be demonstrated toward the Moabites who seduced the Israelites into turning their hearts away from the Lord. Went right right into it. They were to face this adversary head on and strike them down. The Lord was making it very clear. Hey, listen, the plague was stopped. Phinehas, through his righteous act and through the atoning blood that was shed. That was it. That was done. But from here on out, there is, there's no allowance for this going into the Moabite camp and bringing back any of them. There, there is no allowance for committing sexual immorality, worshiping the God of the Midianites, the Moabites. Zero tolerance. You are from this point on to face this adversary head on and strike them down, period. Period. Why? Because this was a very real threat to the advancement of the Israelites. Remember where they were. 
Remember that at this point, they are basically on the threshold of entering into the promised land. They were, they were almost there. And the enemy is relentless. He, he knows, hey, something big is happening here. And that's why as God's people, we need to keep, we need, oh man, we need God's wisdom. Sometimes as our marriages are doing so well and we're on the cusp of, of making, you know, doing, making some great progress in a certain area, oh, the enemy is going to come and he wants to take you out. Oh, be aware. Be aware he'll do that. As God's people in his church, he, he continues to try and undermine the church. If he can't do it from without, he'll try and do it from within. We need to be vigilant. We, we need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful. When something arises within the church, the church needs to rise up and proceed with the wisdom found in the Word of God. It's like you deal with something. Something's made, you're made aware of something that just isn't right within the church. What do you do? Well, you repent. And you fall in line with the Lord. You don't insist on the flesh. You don't insist on your own will. We submit and we surrender to the Lord. Not giving the enemy not one inch. We head on, we, we, we face this enemy head on without any fear, with full confidence, the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Remember that Satan is a created being. God is eternal. He's God. So he wants us to continue going along and to advance to his glory. So the enemy from within... How do we deal with an enemy that can be so insidious and bring permanent destruction to us, our children, our community, even our local church? I want to first address Balaam. Remember that Balaam was a prophet and a man who was used by God to deliver a message to Balak. He could not basically, you cannot curse the Israelites. They are my people. But Balaam apparently, as we had left off in the last chapter, Balaam did not stop at the failed curses. We didn't read about it. Not then. But we're about to read about it in Revelation. Apparently Balaam had given Balak some advice. And that was what wreaked havoc on the Israelites. He saw them from afar. He said, I can only speak what the Lord gives me to speak to you. But he must have whispered something in Balak's ear. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. And this was a word to the church in Pergamum. But we can learn a lot from that. From that. It is said, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Interesting. I love again how it is that we have the Word of God. We, we can go through it and we can learn so much about the Old Testament by going to the New Testament. And so we see how it is that Balaam didn't stop. He kept going. 
Balaam was the one who was described by the Apostle Peter as Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. As we go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 15 or 14, what we see is how it was that he did continue, how it was that he truly did love gain from wrongdoing. It's like, hey, I, I can't tell you that. I can't curse the people of Israel, but let me tell you something. You can entice them with a, a few women. You can do that. Suck them into worshiping right alongside those women. The flesh, they will not, they won't deny it. I mean, they're murmurers, they're complainers. They always grumble against God. I know so much about them. They, they, don't, they don't really trust God as much as they should. You can get them by appealing to their flesh. Their pride Oh, if these women would just like, like just flatter them, bring them up to a certain level. Oh, they'll follow them right, right to destruction. Do all these things. I pray that there is none among us that within the church loves gain from wrongdoing and gives the enemy some insight as to how to stumble us. None from within. I pray that we stand vigilant against any Trojan horse type attempted infiltration of sin. May we all stand in full awareness of our surroundings. This includes gossip, cliques, peer judgment without love. That's unloving attitude towards each other without without genuinely getting to know the other person dealing with a situation with godly wisdom and discernment. That's, that's a Trojan horse that comes in. You need to be like, stand guard. Of course, it includes sexual immorality, idolatry, pride, and many other sins that are flagrant. But there are some that are very subtle, insidious. That's the, they have evil motives, and they destroy us from the inside out. but also that we would stand aware and vigilant and guard, stand guard, especially you men, over your families, over your children, and over your spouse. And thirdly, I pray that we would judge our own sin before it is judged by the Lord. Because there could be times to where if we don't judge our own sin. That, that is confessing our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But just as he told the Israelites, we are to do the same. It's like, don't go back to the Moabites. Don't go back to the Midianites. Don't go back to doing what you were doing. Face the enemy head on. Go in the opposite direction, not with them, but against them. That's what we are to do. Against them, not with them. 1 Peter 1.14 through 19 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot.
Watch out for the enemy from without and for the enemy from within. Identify, confess, turn away, or attack with godly and righteous zeal. Finally, and I'll leave you with this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Father, we again are thankful for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the warnings that we find throughout the Bible. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us, Lord, to walk in your wisdom. Walk with, the, with discernment. And Lord, to not go along with those things that we find in the world that are not of you. But I pray, Lord, that at all costs, we would have the confidence to go against them and with you. And so, Father, may you set our eyes upon you. May they be fixed upon you, immovable on the truth of your word. And may we walk out this life with love and grace and a zeal passionate for the things that bless you. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.